Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dillian. Hello and welcome once again to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie and I like Bowie. I'm Jake and I love Dylan. Hey Jake, guess how old the podcast is? Uh, let me. It's oh. over the hill. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. It's it's 40. Oh, it's all downhill from here. Yeah, but I'm not, I, the, by by that he means that I'm 38. Really I'm 38, old. so I have well over a year before I'm 40. And besides, you know what? Wow. When you're 40, this podcast and me will just start taking up golfing. We'll tinker around in our garden. <laughs> we'll wear white socks and sandals, like the, all the best <laughs> over the hill people out there. So shout out to you guys. At least all the jokes that I've heard about being over the hill. Absolutely. I think the dad jokes get even better after you're 40. (laughs) Even funnier. I don't know. I mean, we're going to find out. Your kids kids get old enough that they no longer appreciate that. I mean, I know know how dad jokes happen. It's because kids think they're funny. You know, like little kids think that dad jokes are yeah, funny. Yeah. And then the kids get older, I don't think they're funny anymore, and dads can't stop themselves. Yeah, but here's here's the thing. It it's gets, happening to me. It yeah, gets, I'm there. It gets better for dads because then we can embarrass our children, and that's part of the oh, fun. That does sound like fun. It is. That Trust does, me. Yeah, I have a 12 year old. He's embarrassed by me yeah, sometimes. Yeah, he can be embarrassed. My kids aren't embarrassed by me yet. No, not yet. Very, very hey, rarely. Maybe hey, you're old every once in a while. You I'm just really you look forward to hey, it. Anyway, yeah. before we get into it, we're, we're doing this a very special 40th episode in which instead of looking at a year, we tend to on anniversaries do something different um, and come up with a top 10 something or other. Mm-hmm. So this is a top 10 eras for each of our guys. But before we get to that, Jake, yeah. on our last episode... Uh, you'll recall that we started up an ill-conceived uh, fundraiser to try to get you enough money to buy Trouble No More. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, pl- I made the first pledge. I forgot how much. Are we trying to get, is it $90 or something? I think that's ni- like that? $92 to $100. I made, I made the first pledge of, I believe, $10. Uh-huh. Jake, we got a second pledge through email. Are you serious? I know you, I know you never checked the email. <laughs> Or almost never, as I've been like oh, this off because we've got to go at least. But I don't believe it, here, Jake. It's our old pal Gary. Oh, Gary, who, Gary. Uh, I know Gary's a great guy. Hey, he's Gary's, guy. Gary's he's, the best. He's like he's practically like the fifth Beatle. He's like the third host of Boy Versus. Oh, easily, he might be better than both of us combined. Probably, <laughs> he might be number one. We might be kicked out <laughs> two of us to number three, tied to number three. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Gary gets pledged. <laughs> Some money towards trouble. No oh more. my gosh, so, Gary! I can't thank you yet. enough. You know, he's, he's, he's not pledge eighty dollars. No, well, that's fine, Gary. That. Gary, I would, I would be embarrassed for you if you pledged eighty dollars. But ladies be... and gentlemen at home, uh, don't maybe turn this into like a sweaty telethon, which <laughs> gets increasingly desperate and annoying and sad. But I just want to throw out there that you know, Gary is ready. Uh, Gary's, Gary's, he's given it that he, he knows, he cares about free uh, podcast entertainment two times a month. Yeah. And what, what does that work to you, Jake? 
Oh, wait, what? <laughs> oh, what is it I'm, worth I to me? To, I was trying to mime like what they always say on these Oh, I see. <laughs> and, just, and I just want to throw it out to Gary, who just, who, he just shows he cares. He knows the quality programming. <laughs> oh, you're doing a... And you're, it's it for free. You're doing a PBS. You're doing a PBS style one. I was doing like oh, a. Yeah. I was doing like a Jerry Lewis, like you know, all out <laughs> extravaganza style. But no, that's fine. No, no, no. no we're we PBS. Have for that kind of thing. No, we wouldn't. <laughs> we wouldn't be go. Way more depressing than that, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Can we just talk in um, voices like this? And, I was thinking um, PBS or like you know public access radio. Uh, like, maybe we know. could shame you into giving us some money. <laughs> Street. Absolutely. Podcasting. We are not shrill at all. We are quiet people. All right. All right. That, What's uh, happening? Email us at BowieVSDillon at gmail.com. Let us know how much you're willing to pledge. That's right. And I, and I I just thought... Jake is going to get a swanky new copy of Trouble No More. And he yeah. has to listen to the whole thing, whether he wants to or not. Yeah, absolutely. If we buy it for a few I'll even, to, I'll even buy the... I'll guilt him into it. I'll buy the weird movie where Michael Shannon preaches Bob Dylan lyrics or whatever that watch is. It. Uh, and I just, I just, I just realized um, the name of our telethon, Chaz. It just came to me. Uh, it's called <laughs> Gare Cares. That's what it's called. <laughs> Gare Cares. Gare Cares. For Gary. Hey, let's yeah. go to the actual episode. Let's I'm do ready. this, man. Uh, so... I, I'm gonna do like my third introduction here, Jamie. Ready yeah, for it? I'm ready for a okay. fourth introduction. So here is the thing, here, ladies and gentlemen. Now, when you run a podcast, and maybe most of you probably don't, but we do. Yeah, we do. Uh, and you know, you kind of you check your numbers every once in a while, see things are going, and we're we're doing pretty well here. Jake likes to bring us down, but we're actually, you know, we've got a lot of downloads. We're doing we're doing all right. It's self-deprecation. That's all it is. But by far, our most popular episode, hands down, I think it's like more than double. Pop, more popular than the next closest is our number one episode, the introductory episode. Absolutely. Which, you know, hey, great. I know it's people like trying out, interested in maybe listening to the whole thing as they're starting in the beginning. But the problem with that is, of course, is that it was the first podcast we ever made. Yeah. Number and, one. Uh, people kind of get better at doing stuff like this as they, as they keep going with it. So true. So I can't help but wonder how many potential fans we have destroyed because they listened to that one episode and were like, or not even the whole episode. They're like, because oh, it's kind of long. Whereas if they had started with you know episode ten or twenty or something, they would have, they would have been hooked for life and would have been suffered through the first couple week ones and would have enjoyed everything else. Well, I did realize one so, of our one of our problems is that we didn't use our traditional format for the first episode. So no, like I'm people aren't getting a sense. But people aren't getting a sense of what we actually do on the episodes. It's true. Anyway, go on. So anyway, I'm feeling like this is our episode of top ten eras. We're going to cover every era, like every year, briefly, of our guys Basically. Here. This feels yeah. like, you know, perfect jumping on point for new listeners. Hey. Thing, you know? Hey. Like, this is the prep problem that TV shows have, that, like, comic series have, you know, is that, like, how do you get somebody to jo- join up with something that's going on for 40 episodes? Yeah. Because they feel like maybe they need to start at the beginning. 40 when years old. 40 years of podcasting, that's all. <laughs> 40 years. Dig through well those 40 years. Before podcast was a thing. Or, or computers, basically. Whatsoever. Yeah. And before either one of us was born. Or the internet, whatever. <laughs> so, this is a perfect jumping on point for new listeners, and uh, I hope you're ready for it. I'm ready for it. All right. I'm, I'm here. I'm over to you, Jake. All right. For the, uh, the bottom... The bottom whatever. Yeah, so... The not top tenors. It's the not top tenors. So, what, what I decided to do was to rank... Bob Dylan's entire career, 
into different phases, and I found 17 distinct phases for Bob Dylan's career. I did the same, and I came up with 14. Yeah. So, with Bowie. Uh, with obviously, Dylan. we're going to have... <laughs> clearly... <laughs> As if... Um, anyway, so what I wanted to do in the, before we get to the top ten is I ranked the seven not top ten phases, and I'm going to give those to you, Chaz, and you, podcast audience, now. So uh, I'm going to go from worst phase, in my opinion, to yeah, uh, what no. ends up being like the eleventh worst phase or the eleventh best phase. However you want to, you know, however you want to think about it's it. Not the eleventh worst. That would no, be like, that'd yeah. be like okay. the seventh or eighth worst. Seventh worst. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't do math. So, uh, without further ado and without talking about it too much, here is the worst phase of Bob Dylan's career. I call it Yacht Boat Captain, featuring the Grateful Dead, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and the Queens of Rhythm, and Ron Wood. And the uncool half of the Arrhythmics, a.k.a. Dave Stewart, a.k.a. not the really cool pitcher from the 80s who pitched for the Oakland Athletics. Okay? As we all know, David Bowie got analytics. Yeah, oh yeah. In, in the divorce, I mean, he made out like a bandit. And that's, you know that what? That was a nationally long title take, and I remember, I know why it isn't a nationally long title, because of that awful, <laughs> awfully named tour, but... Yeah, from 1986. Uh, these were the years 1982 to 1987. The, uh, the, the less said about them, the better. Let's move on. Uh, number six, worst year ever. No, number two, worst year ever. <laughs> Just go with the best. Go with number 16. 16. Okay. okay, all right, all right, all right. I like where you're headed here, Chaz. I should have consulted you. We should do a podcast together. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> we should talk about our podcast before we run our podcast. Whatever. We don't have time for that. Number 16, <laughs> I'm calling Elvis Cooper. That's 1977 to 1978, which he, uh, in which he looked like Alice Cooper, but he sounded like Elvis doing his old hits on the road. <laughs> I was wondering the connection there. I was getting too much, like, I got hung up by Elvis Costello. The names like, seem too Well, similar. and Chaz, so again... He involved somehow, but I didn't think he was, but... And Chaz, again, you're not anyway, listening to me, because we, w- we went through the Elvis Cooper thing in detail in a previous episode. Not that long ago. Presumably 1978, because I know we didn't do 77. Yeah, we done. We, it was 1978. Number 15 are the Gospel Years. That's numbers. That's 1979 through 1981. Number 14 is. Hey, hold on. Okay. Can we, can we mention really quickly? Now, I, I like. I wonder in the future, you know, which which musicians people are going to look back on and the way that they look on David Bowie and Bob Dylan, like they're that monumental. And it's hard to think of like what musicians of today. But I gotta admit, I think believe Kanye West is gonna be one of those people. Oh, definitely. And and I gotta bring this up because Kanye West has entered his own gospel years. If you yeah, he has. Music news at all? Like yesterday, as of the day that we're recording this, which is October twenty sixth. Yeah. Coming out on November first, he released a like super Jesus themed album. Apparently, and he did. I'm not like personally a huge Kanye West fan, so I I, I haven't downloaded or listened to this thing in the slightest. I have no clue how good it's supposed to be, but it's like super super super. God themed. It just reminded me a lot of like Bob Dylan suddenly making this, you know, weird mid career. Yep. Well, gigantic, I, like heavy hitting conversion. It seems like that's happening on you last, which is uh, and, fascinating and weird. And a last last thing we'll say about it is that I read a uh, an article in which Kanye West has promised to re-record all of his old music, but take out all oh, the swear words. Dude. He's going to take out the swear words. The gosh darn That's swear really words. interesting. Oh, man, I hope he does it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I hope he gets as crazy as possible. Let's go. And I hope, like, it 
five or six years or ten years, he you know like has another weird career shift and comes back out on top. Like I, you know, yeah, we'll live this whole thing in real time and see, watch him, you know, fall and then come back up and then fall again and come back. It's gonna happen, Jake. Yeah, it. I know he is the um, he's the bizarre, maybe mentally unstable iconoclast of our time. Yeah, he really is. He really is. Okay, hey, shout-outs to Kanye West. I know he listens. <laughs> All right, <laughs> number... Hey, you want to donate, like, $90 million? Yeah, do you, think, do you think he has a little cash to, 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 to throw in the pot since he's uh-huh. such a regular listener? Let's go, Kanye. Uh, put your money where your mouth is, bro. Okay, number 14 is a period that's only one year. It's from 1974, but it's called Stacking Cash Stacks. <laughs> <laughs> that's when uh, Bob Dylan decided to go out on tour with the band again and release this album, which is not that bad with the band. And he just went out and he just made a whole buttload of money. And he didn't even he didn't even like care to give good performances because it didn't matter. <laughs> All right, number thirteen is the Sinatra Sadist, or How to Win the Nobel Prize Without Really Trying. That's twenty fifteen to present. <laughs> That's uh, that's 2015 through the present. We're still in the Sinatra sadist period. Uh, number 12, I call the unkempt wunderkind. That's the beginning of his career. That's 1959 through 1962, uh, which covers his first album, which was not a big deal. Uh, but that's when he went to New York and made the legend. The self-made legend. Sold his soul to the devil. Yep, in that period he sure did. And then... Uh, the number 11, before we get to the top 10, is called Less Booze, More Blues, or The, <laughs> the Preternatural Plagiarist? Question mark. Exclamation point. That's, oh, I love it, these jams. Yeah, that's, I'm sure I worked at night, too. That's 2005 through 2009. Uh, he released, like, okay albums during this period after, after his big comeback. Uh, but he also got accused <clears throat> of plagiarizing everything left and right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Less booze, more blues. He's a real nice, uh, stable, stable part of his career, but you know, not the most exciting music. So there you go, Chaz. That's the not top ten. Over to you. Hey, nice. Thanks. I'm gonna take it from my not top ten. I divided Bowie up into fourteen different periods. Um, so let's kick it off with number fourteen, which would be uh, 1989 to 1992, known as "F You, I'm a Tin Machine." <laughs> oh, I like this. This, this is good. This was entirely based on a T-shirt that David Bowie actually wore during the period. Oh, he did. Yeah, it's it's spelled out. It's spelled out that first word, which I'm trying to keep off of our you know hard PG, absolutely PG thirteen podcast. <laughs> so hard. Uh, this was the Tin Machine period in which, in the middle of his career, he started a band, and they were noisy and not very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Number thirteen, Cash Dance or Dancing for Dollars. Between <laughs> 1983 to 1988. Oh wow! Fascinatingly yeah. lining up almost exactly with uh, Dylan's birth period. The only thing is that Bowie actually released, managed to release the, the album Let's Dance in the, yeah. middle of, you know, the beginning of this, which yeah. is actually pretty good. It the is, rest of it is insanely nuts. popular. Insanely, this is his most popular period. Uh, notable songs from the period include Let's Dance, China Girl, Modern mm. Love. Blue Jean, Dancing in the Streets with Mick Jagger, uh, Underground, <laughs> and all of Labyrinth, the Labyrinth soundtrack, and Absolute Beginner. Some giant songs from his biggest hits. Uh, the only reason I did not actually end up in last place, like if it was the other two albums from the period, it would be last place, but yeah. Let's Dance made it, like averaged it just barely above Jim Machine. You know, I kind of wish that uh, Dylan had had just a weird, surprise, incredibly huge album in that period. 
That's true. Hey, let's go hey. back in time. Let's make this happen. I'm ready. I want that to happen so bad. I'm ready. Number 12, the dedication. Oh. A well-known period mentioned all kinds of times because it lasts a really long time. And when we go year by year, I keep having to do it over and over again. Yeah, it's great. It's a period from 2005 to 2012 when he did nothing. No one's sick of it yet. No albums. He released a couple. It was Jake. People were sick of it the second time I said it. It was the goal, <laughs> that name. Well, that's what I mean. It no was one... meant to be an obnoxious name, and I, and I succeeded. Um, again, I just uh, I think you talk about I think you talk about it's more obnoxious that you talk about how obnoxious it is, but oh, good, good, gonna look meta. Oh yeah, meta obnoxious, meta obnoxiousness. <laughs> anyway, he did nothing from 2005 to 2012. No, he didn't. He hung around the city with a Greek newspaper so people wouldn't think he was who he was, and that was it. Number eleven, Woo. 1964 to 1966. Mm. Baby Davy Jones. Oh, Baby Davy. This was Dave. the pre-Bowie period. He came Bowie in '66, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but you know, he went by his original name, Baby Jones. No albums, but he was in at least nine thousand bands in various capacities. Yep. And uh, miming, all, no was, miming. All of it was okay. It was well. There were, no mime was later on. <laughs> uh, all of it was okay, but not amazing. And that's my top. Okay. My bottom four. Bottom there it four is. Right there. Hey, that went pretty smooth and slick. We didn't even that's get it. off track too much. Too much. Except too for Kanye West, but it was worth it. Well, hey, when, when you're talking about our number one fan of this podcast, you gotta go, you got to go in on it. <laughs> There's so much email from Kanye West, you guys. You have no idea. Oh, he writes daily. <laughs> on the red. Maybe a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, hey, Kanye, why don't you just? Hey, Kanye. Hey, hey, we got. With your family? We got enough fan what's mail. Your, what's from your family you? doing right now? Hey, hey. <laughs> hey. Would you go record a Christian album? No, yeah, hey. Anyway. Would you? Where did you go find God? Hey, Kanye. Who really wants to do that? Come on, Kanye. All right. Great. Wow, Jake, we did it again. All right, so here we go. Let's We're gonna start the off. So these are the uh, these, these are the top ten phases and or eras or recognizable little chunks of our guy's career. Uh, yes. My number ten for Bob Dylan is a period from 1988 through 1989. I like to call Daniel Lanwauza. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Okay. So yeah, I like this. So it's the end of the 80s. Bob has reached the absolute end of himself in his creativity. Um, and the 80s have been, shall we say, unkind, Chaz, to Bob. And nothing's, nothing's working. Uh, whatever Bob wants to do, it just didn't work. So he could pick- Except for the traveling wilburys. Well, that's in this period. You're jumping the gun here. Oh, jerk. Shoot, I thought that was a little early. No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, a little Attraction earlier would be his, three seconds. his whole like touring schedule with every other musician in the world on the bill. Yes, yes. Okay, so he... In the tour game. He capitulates to the whims of Daniel Lanois, who I'm thinking now that I'm actually getting confused with Brian Eno, like their personalities and stuff. Um, they worked together quite a bit. I know, days. but Daniel Lanois actually did, like, smash guitars in the studio and get mad at everyone. And I don't know if Brian Eno ever did. Brian Eno just comes across as, like, just a pretty chill guy. He's a zen kind of a my, guy. That's my, my impression of him, but I don't, you know, I've never had that him, I don't know. So my huge... You know, uh, beef that I've picked with Brian Eno might be totally false. For no good reason. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it might. 
it might not be Brian Eno's fault. And I, uh, oh, I'm i not ready to apologize yet, but how about this? No wonder he stopped listening to the podcast, Jake. He if, drove him away, probably. If anyone was offended by my words and actions, I'm sorry. But only if they were offended by them. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute, Jake. Well, let's move on. on. Fake news. Let's go. Uh, so, uh, that album was called Oh Mercy, which is easily, in my opinion, his best album um, since Desire, which came out uh, after Blood on the Tracks in the mid-70s. And also, Chaz, you, uh, you, you spoiled it all, but he was in the Traveling Wilburys during this time. And um, that, was a, that was a huge boost for him, you know? Hey, good. It was good. Good, good, good. good, good, good. So, good, good. I'm going to do, for my, for my portions, I'm going to do a representative album from the period. You're going to do it a little bit yeah. differently, but we'll get to that. Yeah. And then I'm going to do it an enduring image that I have thought about um, from, okay. from that period. So, Daniel Lanwauza from 1988 to 1989. Representative album is obviously Oh Mercy. That's the only album he made in that period, but it's also very good. And the enduring image is that... Uh, Daniel Lanois was screaming at Bob and they had a shouting match and then, uh, you know, maybe a guitar was broken and maybe Bob went out and like rode a motorcycle around the parking lot for a while. And then, um, after, after, after Lanois put Bob in his place or screamed at him or whatever, Bob was a very pleasant guy, um, except that he refused to record the album except in the dead of night. They recorded the entire album. (laughs) In the dead of night. night. So it sounded like kind of a mess, but... Which also would have been a good name for an an album, by the way. In the dead of the night. By Bob Dylan. Bob, we know you're also listening. Hey, Bob. I know. Hey, Bob. He's the one guy we know is not listening because he hates his hardcore fans like you. And has been very open about it. We've been through this, Chaz. Why don't you just do your number 10, okay? Hurting my feelings all over again. Number 10, 1966 to 1968, a little period I call Just Say Gnome. <laughs> it's good. I love it. This is not that great of a period, but it does make it to number 10. Okay. Uh, also known as Anthony Newley period, uh, in honor of a guy he was style he was totally aping, but now no one really remembers from the period, um, includes his first album, David Bowie, from 1967. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name comes from, of course, his maybe worst song he ever recorded. The Laughing Gnome. Hey, that's the best song he ever recorded. It was just fortunately not on his first album. It was a non-album signal, like, released, like, right at the same time as his album, for some reason. Okay, not the uh, single. It's him just getting started, doing a lot of, like, like a very British kind of story songs, kind of like Sid, Sid Barrett or the era pink... Uh, ugh, I can't talk here. Uh-oh. Like Sid Barrett, Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd is definitely a huge influence. Yep. Some uh, like Benefit of Mr. Kite type Beatles songs, The Kinks, a lot of that stuff like that. Um, so there you go. Yeah, album for the period was David Bowie, just self-titled album. Um, the other thing I'm going to add to okay. the next series, this time I'm going to give you two words to describe the era in here. <laughs> the hey, can we call it the Hera? The hero. Yeah. We yes. Can't, we can't go up the hero, Jake. Oh, yeah. So, the hero for Just Say No <laughs> is yes. Quaffed and Mod. Ooh, Quaffed and Mod. Now, we don't get scores on this. I don't want you to make them up all of a sudden. Just, I just want to. Nope. Nope. Okay, no that's scores great. on this one, Jake. Nope. Quaffed and Mod. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good. That's all I have to say about that, Jake. All right. Over to you, number nine. <laughs> Sounds great. Number nine, Bob Dylan's number nine uh, era slash phase is one I call Robert's Respite. This was from 1971 to 1973. Uh, Bob decides he has had quite enough of being Bob Dylan, thank you very much, 
And he decamps from Woodstock, New York, where he's being harassed by the freaks who call themselves his fans. And he moves back to New York City, where he's promptly harassed by the freaks who call themselves his fans. And instead of liberating oh, himself yeah. from himself, he takes it easy, raises his fam, and makes sporadic stabs at music. Uh, these include the five new songs that he placed on Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 2, which are classics. And uh, the era culminates in his weird experience filming Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid and the accompanying soundtrack, which we haven't talked about yet. That's in 1973. Um, but it's pretty good. So, hey. hey, way to go. Hey, 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 hey. hey. So the represent, representative album is obviously Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 2, but more importantly, the, the representative songs are the new ones he put on there. So I Shall Be Released, You Ain't Going Nowhere, and then uh, the song that should close every single mixtape ever, When I Paint My Masterpiece. Oh, baby. Oh, when you paint it, maybe you never will. Who knows? Whoa, wait, when, whoa. where will you? When, Jake, if, if Jake. I paint my, ma- yeah. We are painting our masterpiece right now. This is it right here, isn't it? Episode number 40 of Boy Vs. You can see the breaststrokes all over this podcast. <laughs> wow. The beautiful. That's and so I'm cool. holding one brush and you're holding another and our arms are entwined. Mm-hmm. Entwined while we paint <laughs> together. It's getting weird. It's getting weird. <laughs> we are brothers. <laughs> Sorry. And, uh, uh, here, uh, I'll bring. I'll bring it down too. It's not like a ghost style pottery <laughs> thing here. Which yeah. is what it sounds like when Jake just described it. Don't like Don't lie. But with painting instead of pottery. Yeah. Um, let me let me bring it let me bring it back down to a level that our our listeners are used to us being at. My my enduring image. <laughs> like a fart joke or something or what? Uh, almost. My enduring image from this uh, period is Bob Dylan putting a little bit extra of Jacob Dylan's poop in the garbage for his freaky fans to go through. <laughs> so, thank you, Jacob Dylan. Oh, Jacob Dylan. Thank you for your contribution, too. I'm Again. <laughs> hey, you really pooped real good as a baby. <laughs> real, real nice. Real nice. Just, just put a little extra in there for the freaks. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> All right, number nine from Bowie, 1968. Yeah. 1969 doesn't overlap with 68. Oh, what? I thought um, about doing that. Well, no, that was totally loud. He changed No, I know, it's allowed. Change. It's allowed, it's allowed. Okay. Okay. I almost did the same thing, but I, I just didn't. Okay. Listen, we can stop the podcast. A period by the name of Folk of the World. Oh, <laughs> Folk of the World. <laughs> <laughs> This is Bowie's uh, love period. <laughs> this was great. He, uh, he started out, like, really with a guy called John Hutch, Hutchinson, mm-hmm. who we talked about, mm-hmm. um, trying really hard just to be Simon and Garfunkel. Right. And they did that by writing songs and singing them just like Simon and Garfunkel. And <laughs> then... Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's totally... And, like, I think officially Bowie was the songwriter and Hutch was doing the arrangements, but I'm not sure I bet Bowie was doing it all. I don't know. Hard to say. But then Hutch had to move away because they weren't making any money or, you know, he, he just needed to, like, go back to his wife and son, I think, who were living in a different city. And, Why yeah. would he do that? I think he went, you know, got, like, a work work as a miner or something. Not a miner. I don't know what he was doing. But it was something <laughs> kind of industrial. He was a miner. And then uh, Bowie released on his own a little song by the name of Space Oddity. I've never, never heard of it, I've, nev- I've never heard of it. <clears throat> but go ever ahead. heard of that song? Space Oddity? Nope. Well, I'll check it out. Never. Okay, I'm going to assume that a couple of you listeners have. Okay. And it isn't it being, of course, his big break, 
Um, the album it's on, which was his second self-titled album in a row, for some reason, yep. which makes it really confusing. I love it. Uh, is It's pretty good, but it's not amazing. Space Oddity transcends the entire rest of the album. And with it being the first song on the album, it's kind of hard to, you know, yeah. get too excited about the entire rest of the album, which is solid, but not amazing. Uh, that ended up being his first, you know, hit single of any kind whatsoever. It took him, you know, about three years to get to Ziggy and actually be popular again, but he did it for that little bit there. And Way it, to go, man. And I'm sure his continued career, which is great. Hey. So, albums of the period are just David Bowie, the 1969 David Bowie, not 1967 David Bowie. Don't so get it confused. Notable song, Space Oddity. <laughs> nope. And hair, or the Hera. The Hera. For Folk of the World. Yep. Permed <laughs> and fluffy. <laughs> Oh, man. That's all I have to say about Herman Fluffy. Over to you, Jake, for number eight. All right. Number eight is a period from 2010 to 2014. I like to call the violent and virile Vincent Price. (laughs) (laughs) Bob takes his music in his lackadaisical release schedule from 2001 on and refines it into a simmering bula bass with equal parts guts, growliness, and getting it on. You were turning this description. I just, I'm just winging it over here. Hey, man, you sound great, and so do I. The growliness. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say something else, but I couldn't think of anything. All right, <laughs> nothing came. Nothing came. So I just. Here's all my number one singer, and nothing comes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, happens to me often. All right. So the uh, the growliness of Bob's voice during this period in particular, is almost, like, unimaginable. It is, it's like an even more elderly Tom Waits who smoked even more, if you can believe that. (laughs) Is that possible? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's almost unimaginable. But you can imagine it because it's true, Chaz. His voice on, (laughs) he he recorded an album called Tempest, which is one of his better albums um, of, of all time. And it's the, if nothing else happens before Bob dies, Tempest stands as the gnarly old man record that was promised. It's sitting there, Chaz. Yeah. Even though I didn't it's think there. I didn't even think it was that at the time, but it, it might be that. Uh, Bob is extremely cool again. Yeah, yeah. We don't talk. We about, talk about that. We don't Not talk. About, we don't talk about that until he records another album of original material. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, representative album is Tempest, and oh, he also put out like many of his best bootleg series during this, but I, I don't really think that that counts towards the eras, necessarily. I don't know how you thought no, about, like, no, archival no. stuff. It doesn't really... No, no. It doesn't It doesn't belong anyway for the purposes of this. No, because that would go back to the era in which it was recorded or released. Yes, yes. Right. It okay. colors that era. All right. Not the era in which it was released. All right. I'm censoring myself on that. That's a self-censorship. Uh, and the enduring image is Bob in a satin jacket leading a gang of multicultural street toughs in the video for Duquesne Whistle. <laughs> Magnificent. Did you ever watch that video like I told you to? I'm pretty sure I did. Oh, like, man. Because we were just saying, like, was bringing up images that were delightful. So, yeah. So I'm wonderful. I'm pretty sure I watched it right after that episode. All right. Before you do number eight for yourself, um, everybody just go watch the video for Duquesne Whistle. We'll wait. <laughs> if you haven't already. Yep. Okay. They're probably back. Go ahead. All right. Welcome back. Welcome thanks, back. Thanks, 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 thanks. <clears throat> Number eight, 1993 to 1998, Electric Bowie Galoo. <laughs> That's great. Nice. The nice. names are the best parts of this, by the way. Well, they really are. We really brought it in that sense. Uh, this is Bowie's 
electronica techno period. Mm-hmm. 1993 started a little more like dance oriented, club oriented, moving through to industrial. Oh yeah, and uh, and yet more on a drum and bass mode. So I mean, Bowie's kind of like two years behind on every like hot new electronica trend mm-hmm. but um he's also in his like late 40s and early 50s during this period which so i don't know it's you know it's, it's, he's trying he's trying but also why why try at that age though that's kind of a question i know i know <laughs> yes, yeah. you know there's so many different rock musicians uh bowie's vintage who were coasting by like the mid 80s oh and yeah. bowie like never really coasted you i guess there's a period coming up i guess that he did it well but you could probably argue that he was coasting during a certain period coasting. but uh his last album wasn't coasting and the 90s weren't coasting they were you know sporadic in their quality but they were not coasting nowhere now so he was hanging out with Trent Reznor. he did a 50th anniversary birthday bash with like billy corgan and uh, I can't think of anyone else who came on that who was relevant at the time, but <laughs> no one else was relevant. Lots of the Foo Fighters were on there; they were relevant. Oh, I mean, there were oh. like like uh, Robert Smith was there. He's not totally relevant at the time, but yeah, but and whatever. There were some big giant people there singing with him and stuff. And he released some solid albums, and he uh, did like club sets and stuff yeah. in 1997. Sure, he did. And he had like a double, like two two sets. One of them would be all like club, and one of them would be actual songs. And he did the club one first, just to stick it to everybody. And make oh them yeah. Stick around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he got four albums from the period. They are Black Tie, White Noise, Buddha of Suburbia, Outside, and Earthling. Uh-huh. Notable songs from the period include Jump, they say. Hello, Space Boy. Hello. Little Wonder. And I'm Afraid of Americans. Love that which song. Was re- which was remixed by Trent Reznor. Yeah. Well, not just Trent Reznor. It, was, it officially got nine Nine Inch Nails remixed, if I remember right. And uh, his hair. His hair. Yeah. The hair for Electric Bowie Glue is spiky and spicy. Spiky and spicy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, you will. Way to go. All right. Uh, Bob's number seven is a period from 1990 through 1996 called The Reticent Roots Return. So Bob does the first sensible darn thing he's done since 1976, and he quits writing new songs altogether for five <laughs> whole years. Uh, yes, he has just decided that enough is enough. Now, this this period, of course... Um, includes his worst album, in my opinion, um, which we talked about on our worst albums mm-hmm. episode, uh, Under the Red Sky. And so right after yeah. that, uh, he just was like, uh, I can't do this anymore, because he he stank, Chaz. He <laughs> because just, because he just let's it, he couldn't do it anymore. He, he literally couldn't. couldn't. Uh, but he to, to slake the thirst of the 10 insane fans he had left, he <laughs> returned to his roots by recording two solo albums of folks and blues covers. One which we talked about, Good As I've Been To You, which is fine, and World Gone Wrong, uh, which we haven't talked about, which is much darker, funnier, and more focused. Um, He regains a crucial measure of coolness and mystery, but also MTV Unplugged. He did that during this period. Hey, great. Uh, He caps this phase in 1996 by writing and recording what would ultimately be Time Out of Mind, which, more on that later if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whoa, if you know, if you can guess why I would say that. Uh, representative album is World Gone Wrong. Can't wait to talk about that in 1993. 
And the representative image from Reticent Roots Return is a newly mysterious Bob wearing an 1800s period suit replete with a dandy and somewhat menacing top hat. Ooh, Bob, what are you doing with that top hat? That's what everyone said. <laughs> oh, I kind of missed that. Hey, what, what do you got? Uh, what do you got that? Hey, whoa, what's, what's under that top hat? There? Hey, what do you got that cane for? Are you gonna are you gonna hit somebody with it? What are you doing with that, <laughs> buddy? Bob, Bob, hey, Bob, no, Bob, no, Bob. Uh huh. Anyway, go on. Yeah, that was my turn. Yeah. <laughs> Nine, number seven. We're that's how, the, that's, that's that's how like, this works, yeah. like okay, I go, I, I go, and then you go. I go, and then Wait, you go. Hold on. Can you explain this? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, it's a top hey, ten. number seven. Okay. Number seven is 1999 to 2004. Woo. A little era I like to call Hot Dad Rock. <laughs> yes. I love Hot Dad Rock. <laughs> so, Hot Dad Rock, also known as Bowie's neoclassic rock period, mm. which was alluded to when it's saying that he was just, you know, could have started coasting. This might be his kind of coasting period in which he, like, was not doing anything, like, new and exciting. But the albums are much better than the ones before them, so it's hard to, it's hard to like, it's hard to put that in there. Okay. Anyway, he takes on a, he, he stops feeling like he's chasing trends, just goes for something, like, just good. It's a you know, significantly better period than what came immediately before it. Uh, got a couple of his best albums since his golden era that ended in 1980. Um, he was healthy. Like, he mm. was long since off drugs, but he even stopped smoking during this period. Ooh. He wasn't drinking much. He, like, was working out and stuff. Yeah. Which is where the hot dad rock part comes in. Sure. Like, we described him as being a hot dad at one point. He had a hot dad bod. Hot dad. He had a hot dad bod, yeah. Go. And some of these people like, kind of realize, you know, this guy's looking good. Like, he looks better now than he did in the 70s when he was emaciated and, oh, yeah. you know, the weirdest man alive. I think every uh, I think every single person in human history has looked better than him during the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> he was looking tough, man. Like people didn't, uh, except for the middle when he really was awful. Like, he was, like, such a sex icon in the early 70s, though, too. I know. People just talked about oh, there's just read stuff in the, the that period about people talking about how gorgeous he was. Yeah, well, he was like, like an super and everything. Oh yeah, he was an androgynous sex guy. In the, in the soul period, when he was living on cocaine, milk, and peppers, that was a little different. Oh, but that makes we'll get to that later. That makes me sick. <laughs> uh, the albums from the period are ours, Heathen, yeah. and Reality, Ooh. and also including the not the album that was the full album that was never actually released, Toy, which has been leaked. Was recorded during that period and then never came out for no good reason. Come on. Uh, Heathen and Reality are quite good. Heathen in particular. Our stinks, so it kind of brings down the whole period a little bit. Bummer. Uh, notable songs from the period include Thursday's Child, mm. which is terrible. That is. <laughs> but was, I think, the biggest hit of this period. Weird. And Soul Burn, which I absolutely love that song. Okay. And our hero for Hot Dad Rock yeah. is... Hot Dad. Ill Chosen and Bon Jovi. Oh, it's the Bon Jovi period. It's the Bon Jovi period. Now, I just oh, want yeah. you to know that Bon Jovi is two separate words, so you've broken your you've broken your, your vow. My made, the made-up rules I gave to myself? Yep, you did. I chose to do it. Maybe I hyphened it like I did Ill Chosen. You can't hyphen Bon Jovi without their permission. I can, I can, when, I can when the word is Bon Jovi. Like, I already changed it, Jake. I don't. I, I already know. made it. I don't know about this. Bon Jovi. <clears throat> nope. Another hyphen at the end before the extra E. <laughs> There's seven hyphens in Bon Jovi. Got it. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's Which right. makes it one word somehow. Which makes it one word. I don't know. Ill chosen. You don't have a problem with that. It's hyphenated. You know, two words hyphenated. 
Plus, I made up the stupid rule in the first place. I do what I want. I can tell. You tell me what to do. Hey, whoa, Chaz, whoa, whoa. Give me another drink. Let me give me another drink. What are you doing with that cane? Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you want to see what's under this top hat, Jake? No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I really don't. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> it's a ship, Jake. It's a ship. Oh, it's a homemade ship from the 1800s. No. <laughs> <laughs> the antique breast and uncle's chick. You know, I think it, I think his cane had one of those like bayonets in it. He just, oh. just whipped it out. <laughs> this a sword cane. A sword cane. Obviously. Yeah, he was out for blood in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give us number six. All right, number six is. Uh, a period from 1967 through 1968 called the Messianic Motorcycle Moralist. Now, stop me if we've talked about this, Chaz, but Bob Dylan crashed his motorcycle in late 1966. We've talked about this. When? I'm sorry. I thought this was new information. Uh, In Woodstock, New York, he was at the absolute height of his worldwide fame, and then he promptly disappeared, leading to speculation that he was maimed or dead. But here's the thing, Chaz. Spoiler alert. He was not dead. Yeah. I'm sorry to ruin it. Uh, But he he may have been reborn. And he was reborn as an easygoing family man living the quiet life on an idyllic farm in upstate New York. Yeah. Just just chilling. His first music music since the extreme air quotes accident was a brilliant acoustic album of moralistic fables laced with biblical imagery called John Wesley Harding. Mm-hmm. Now, besides that, he also hung out in various barns with his former backing band, who are now called The Band, and he home-recorded what would be known as the Basement Tapes, which influenced the hell out of every musician ever. <laughs> All of them, huh? And inadvertently spawned the billion-dollar bootleg industry when uh, Bob Dylan's Little White Whale, or whatever that thing was called, came out and uh, made the bootleg industry almost as profitable as the actual industry. So, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Some maybe, might argue more. Might argue for, more. At least for artists of the vintage of uh, Bob Dylan. Okay, yes, it is estimated that Bob lost like $40 million on bootlegs or something. I mean, I don't know how they came up with that number, but whatever. Continuing to the current day. As, it's, it's happening right now. Um, the representative album for Messianic Motorcycle Moralist is John Wesley Harding. It's the only album he officially released. And the representative image is the cover of that album, which is a sheepish-looking Dylan standing between a select few Native American men whilst the ghostly faces of all four Beatles hovered above them in a tree. <laughs> or so some got stoned and said. <laughs> there were two guys. It was uh, 1968, and they were really ripped that day. And they saw the Beatles, and and now everyone sees the Beatles. Uh, Yep, go on. That's it. We need some sort of transition thing. Usually we come up with a transition thing during the program. It hasn't happened. Yeah, there's still Uh, I'm going to knife you with a shove each time in between. (laughs) You beat me over the the head with a (laughs) cane. I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Well, you have until I'm done talking to figure one else out. Yeah, I can't think that hard. Go ahead. Let's go. Number six, 2013 to 2014, Hot Dad Rock reprise. <laughs> Another one. Another one. Oh it's wow! A reprise, Jamie. It's a reprise. Okay. So this is Bowie's great return. He uh, he did Hot Dad Rock. 
Then he took the day vacation and did nothing for nine years. Yep. And then he came back with an unexpected album announced on his birthday in 2013. It came out three months later, a little less than three months later. And, uh, and everyone's like, hey, this is really good. And we haven't heard from Bowie in 10 years. And this is his best and we love him again. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a gigantic comeback. But here's the thing. The album sounds like it could have come out like two years after his last one. Oh. Like it's... I, I, it's a good album. I'm not saying it's a bad album because it, it's already up to number six. So this Everyone's is settled down. But uh, if it had come out two years after his last one, people would like, yeah, this is good, like his last two. But instead, it was like this gigantic, monumental praise about how it was, you know, amazing and you know, his best album in 30 years and blah 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 blah. And it's really not. I just gotta make sure everyone realizes that it's really not. It's a good album. I'm not saying it's not. It's good, everyone. It's but good. Uh, in the context elevated it above its surroundings um in fact i don't even think it's as good as heathen one of the albums from his uh hot dad rock period originally <laughs> but hot, original hot dad rock period is dragged down by hours right i was gonna say there, there must be a reason and, why these uh, aren't flipped and hot right? dad rock reprise only has one album and it's like the second best hot dad rock album so it elevates itself because of that so there you go <laughs> hot dad uh hot dads hot dad and, baby yeah, speaking of hot dads, here we are, Jake. This should be the name of our show, is Hot Dads. Hot Dad. Hot Dad Rock. Hot Dad Rock. This is our next show, Jake. After we're done, where is going? Hot Dad Rock. Okay. Starring Jake and Charlie. Uh, we already have an idea for that, by the way. There's gonna be a lot of a lot of uh, pictures of us with, you know, art, white socks and sandals and stuff. I think. I think. That, our I think you should great. speak for yourself, sir. Socks, so there you go. Hey, get Black on socks it. And you don't have to till you're 40. <laughs> okay, well, I got a few years left. Oh, you're right. Hey, notable song from the period are Where Are We Now, which was the first single released on the same day the album was announced and became his biggest in a while because you've done anything in a while. And Hera for Hot Dad Rock Reprise is Traditional and Classic. Ooh, Traditional and Classic. Mm-hmm. That's much. That's much more Hot Dad, I think, than Ill Chosen and Bon Jovi. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. This was Bon Jovi. That's that's the dad who's trying a little too hard. Yeah, 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 right, right. He is, you know, he is past forty and should not be doing such things. He should not be. To but be he's fair, like, Bon Jovi himself was also past forty and should not be doing such things. But at yeah, but, the same time. Period. Yeah, but he but he came up with it. See, so that's different. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you ready for my right. number five? I'm gonna make an explosion noise in my mouth. You ready? All right. <laughs> It was a bad right. explosion noise on purpose. There you go. That's the new transition. Bad explosion noises. I'm going to include like bad guns and stuff. Uh-huh. Bad, bad stuff like that. There you go. I'm still not sure about this. Also, is um, <laughs> is part of the transition that you have to explain the noise you just made that was very clearly a bad explosion noise? Yeah, probably. <clears throat> Can I go now? Only if, only if it's unclear what it is you're actually trying to do. Okay. Well, that's that's everything we say. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, that's why he spent so much time explaining things. Right? Hey, number five for Bob Dylan is uh, the the phase immediately following the last phase. So this is 1969 through 1970. This one I like to call another, 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 another. And just let me check my notes here for a second. <laughs> Can I finish it? I'm pretty sure now it's a uh, Yeah, I found one more another. So that's another, 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 another. Self-portrait. Self-portrait. Yay! Oh, we did it. Oh, let's let's try it again. Three, two, one, go. Self-portrait. Self-portrait. Uh, Bob gets his lazy family loving butt off his creaky rocking chair 
and heads to Nashville to make some smooth, crooning pop country music for some reason. Uh, uh, hey, you got a bootleg series coming out about this one. I do, I can't it? wait. It's I can't wait. It's coming out in a couple weeks, I think, right? Um, it is coming out in a couple weeks. It's reasonably priced, and it should have been called Another Another Self-Portrait. Because <laughs> it's the same time period. <laughs> Anyway, uh, people are confused when he recorded Nashville Skyline. Uh, he then takes the leftovers of those leftovers and makes self-portrait, uh, for which people are outraged. And then after four months in which hell fro- froze over, he returns with an actual album called New Morning. And people are ambivalent but forgiving. Bob is back, baby. Now, people are always ambivalent but forgiving about Bob. Except you get away with anything. Not self-portrait. He didn't get away with that at all. Uh, or Nashville Skyline. Really. Now. Well, yeah, now he does. That's because he's, he's old and he made he made several comebacks. <laughs> you know, Red's pretty convinced he's still got at least one more right on. Make two or three games. Hey, let's 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 see what else he can plagiarize before he dies. <laughs> plagiarize before he dies. <laughs> uh, now you may be asking something with a sign that says that. You may be asking yourself, Chaz, why I like this period so much, which is generally considered... I like, was asking myself that. It really was. Because like, it, it seems like your description already sounds much more negative than like the two or three previous. Yeah, so it's it's this is generally considered like a poop show in the middle of his career. Uh-huh. This was like his first stumble. Um, now, uh, is it because of Johnny Cash? It's because of Johnny Cash, isn't it? No way, man. Johnny Cash lifts all boats. You shut your mouth. <laughs> It's Bob Dylan's fault. It's not Johnny Cash's fault. No, I bet that, that was why you liked the period with the Johnny oh, Cash. Oh, oh, the Johnny Cash is cool uh, part of it. But mostly it's because I wasn't there. And I'll give you an anecdote to explain, you know, if I was like a, a 20-something-year-old and I worshipped Bob Dylan, um, I, the, the closest analog I could come up with is um, I'm a Wilco, or was, am a Wilco obsessive. Mm. Sky and Blue Sky? when they made Sky Blue Sky, I seriously, I had so many conversations with people where I was like, going to give up on the band altogether. Me included. I, I did give up the band for Sky Blue Sky. Yeah, just on that alone. Uh, but this, yeah, this, just, enough. Just this past summer, Brooke, my wife, and I were uh, driving in the car, and the kids were like sleeping or quiet for once or whatever. And we, we put it on the car stereo, and we jammed out Sky Blue Sky, and uh, we kind of liked it. <laughs> Oh, man. And I'll tell you why. What? It's because we're old fogies now. We're almost 40. <laughs> right? Um, uh-huh. uh, time heals these wounds, Chaz. And I, I don't have the okay. same I don't have the same okay. vitriol for that period that other Bob Dylan fans do. Older ones. Okay. Um, right. Also, it's Fair just enough. like... It's utter, it's utter chaos. And Bob clearly had writer's block. But did that stop him? Nope. He just kept going right on going. And it's also the most fun and goofy that Bob ever sounded. And I find that charming. <laughs> He sounds really good via Nashville Skyline. I he does. He just croons the hell out the of that. Is, they are. His voice is so strange. It's so strange. And I, but, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought it was Bob Dylan if I hadn't known that I just clicked on Bob Dylan. But I totally, I totally put that on for fun, and I, it's delightful. It's not like so bad. It's good. It's just I okay. find it, I find it endearing and great. Okay. So uh, the representative album should be New Morning because that's an actual good album. But it's got to be Nash- yeah. It's got to be Nashville Skyline. Alright. It's schlocky. Well, hey, then you got, a, you got a bootleg series to look forward to in a couple weeks here. I'm ready. You know what? Uh, at least at least 75% more current. Uh, that has outtakes from John Wesley Harding, which I'm super excited about. Oh, I think okay. they should have just done that instead of stuck uh, Johnny Cash on there. There's a bunch of Johnny Cash stuff on there, yeah. Yeah, which I'm, I'm cool with. I, I can't wait. It's going to be great. Uh, the representative okay. of uh, image of Bob Dylan during another, 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 another self-portrait 
is uh, Dylan flop sweating his way through a live TV show appearance on the Johnny Cash show. Uh, nobody knew what the hell he was doing there, but hey, he didn't either, so it all worked out. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably didn't explain that, but don't. don't. It's a gun followed by a fart hey. noise. <laughs> 2014 to 2016. Yeah. Just a closer walk with thee. Oh, what? Oh, man. This is getting deep. Go. It's getting, well, this is his death period, Jake. I know, I know, I know. And I called it originally Jazz Funeral, and then changed it just a few seconds ago. Take just a closer walk with you. I kind of like Jazz Funeral better. Okay, well, let's call it Jazz Funeral, because that was what cool. I, I have written down. I don't know. Nice. I was messing with it instead of listening to you. Hey! Whatever. Bowie's er, final period. Starting in 2014, going until his death in very early 2016. Uh, so Bowie came back from the Navigation with an album that sounded just like he did, or only a little bit different than he did before the Navigation. But he followed it up with an album that was entirely a new period. He was starting on something new and sounded the most like refreshed and new and exciting that he had in since 1980. Wow. That's really. a long time. Honestly. Long time. Uh, he released the album on a Friday. He uh, died on a Sunday. On, a, wow. on a Saturday, I, I texted you saying that Bowie did it. He released his best album in 30 years. He died on a Sunday and everyone else found, everyone found out about it on a Monday, which was a, wow. it, was a it was a black day. It was a black day. Uh, but the album is Awesome. Uh, it's not entirely jazz, but it has a lot of jazz influences. It's very artsy. Um, it's called Black Star. Bowie at this time was being super mysterious. He did release uh, two music videos for this, but he hadn't toured since before the day. You know, since yeah, before the day of vacation, he was doing no public appearances, no interviews. Uh, like they released like five photos of him and the music videos and the album. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's all he was doing. So the album from the period is Blackstar ended up winning a whole bunch of Grammys. It wouldn't have won them all if he hadn't died, but who cares? Doesn't and matter. it's uh, widely considered the greatest like vital album by a musician ever, which it has grounds to. It's totally obsessed with his own death. Nobody even knew he was sick. He had cancer, wow. uh, and been battling that for over a year. Nobody even knew about it. And uh, so he drops this guy and then dies two days wow. later. And it uh, like the album. It's, it's it's big. It's big. We haven't done this year yet. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough year, Jake. Tough Rough year. year. We're gonna... Hey, notable songs from the period are "Black Star," his longest single at exactly ten minutes long. Um, originally, apparently, there was a twelve minute cut at one point, but uh, iTunes only allows ten minutes for singles, so he cut it down to ten minutes for <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> ten minutes exactly. And then "Lazarus," which was his big final single. Oh yeah. And is totally about his own death. Yep. Hair for the period is Hera for Jazz Funeral would be trendy and classy. Oh, he was very classy in his final days. No doubt. He was. About There's it. this picture of him like two days before he died in this like impeccable suit looking oh, yeah. amazing. Way to oh go, man. Probably. You've probably seen that one. He looks good. Way to I go mean, out. He's like really thin and sick looking, but you know. Yeah, but, I mean carrying it with class. Dressed impeccably. Hey, that's all you can ask for, really. <laughs> I was hoping really you'd go with like a, like taps or something. You followed up the whole oh. the death thing with a machine gun noise. <laughs> there you go. All right, number four is uh, we're getting into the heavy hitters now, Chaz. I've oh, I know it's here. It's here. It's happened. Number four is the uh, from 1997 through 2004. This is the capricious comebacker. Bob Dylan, after his uh, necessary layoff detailed earlier in the Reticent Roots return, 
Bob returns with a new album called Time Out of Mind and has everyone saying, Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. <laughs> you really had to bring in Dumb and Dumber. Right? You know I did. Otherwise, uh, fine, respectable podcast. <laughs> with fart noises and guns. <laughs> I'll just say we don't have to go into it, but Dumb and Dumber is funny. It's just still, yeah, I haven't watched. It's still funny. Years. I watched a couple. I I went to 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 see the exact wording of that clip, and then I I I, I had to see a few more clips, and I was laughing. I was laughing, Chaz. <laughs> it's one of those movies. Sometimes there's these like funny old movies that I I kind of think it was being they're probably stupid. Yeah. But I, I have no interest in watching them again. Because I'm worried that I won't like them anymore. And I want to just leave it the way it is and have this like warm, fuzzy feeling for it. Yeah, but that, that usually means that they're still funny in some way. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You don't know because you you you, you, you're you you not going back I, to the I, well. I don't want to wreck it. But <laughs> you're I, not going to do it. one of those things about watching kids' movies you loved when I was a kid. Sometimes you're like, oh, Back to the Future is still awesome. It and is. Sometimes you're like, oh, the Goonies really stinks. It barely makes any sense. What's going on? Why did I like this? Because you're, you know? you're a Goonie. So I just want to leave it, you know? I just want to leave Dumb and Dumber to its history. <clears throat> oh, well. My wife would never watch it in a million years, so I, I'd have to, like, decide to watch it by myself. And I have a million other things I want to watch more than that anyway, so I'll leave it. I'll leave it, Jay. Well, Let's I'm, continue. I'm glad Here, we litigated this. You could bit. you could just go watch the funniest parts on YouTube. That takes, like, ten minutes. Uh, you know, maybe that I will do. There, go ahead. I might do Go that. ahead. All right, so uh, this period here is, uh, at least it starts out being Daniel Lanois' uh, part two, basically. Hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel Lanois produced Time Out of Mind, and um, their their working relationship seemed to be a little bit better this time around. They had more of a, a give and take. And uh, I don't think that Daniel Lanois smashed any guitars during this thing. Oh, wow. Well, that's uh, a good point. Nevertheless, Bob makes a huge... Daniel, get out of here. Go, go smash them. Come on, Daniel. Uh, Bob returns with a vengeance. He just starts like winning Grammys. He doesn't die. He keeps touring. And he's just he's just back. It's like an instantaneous... Mammoth comeback, uh, but here's the key, Chaz, because he already came back in 1989, and it could have been it could have been kind of like this, except he released Under the Red Sky, which was a big turd, <laughs> a big smelly one, foisted upon the entire world. Uh, he doesn't fritter his success and goodwill this time. Um, he could have put together another stupid superstar album or rushed another record, but crucially, he didn't. He took his sweet time and waited until 2001 to release another classic named Love and Theft, which he self-produced. It's a masterpiece. We already talked about it. It blended or stole elements from the entire history of Americana. Uh, some Don't say, make me choose, Jake. Don't make me choose which one. <laughs> let's, go, let's, let's go with blended. I like blended. Uh, some say it's better than Time Out of Mind, and I'm not one of those people. But it is great. So my representative, hey, good. my representative album is "Time Out of Mind," and the representative image for me, Chaz, is um, Bob Dylan at the Grammys in 1998. I don't know if you remember this uh, back when people maybe watched the Grammys, but some like some like eco activist jumped onto the stage with. Uh, and he didn't have a shirt on, and it said "soy bomb" on his chest. Oh yeah, I do. Remember and he that. started like contorting and like doing this crazy dance, and Bob, like, the look on Bob's face when he looks over, and he's like, whoa. And everyone thought maybe it was part of the act. So it took <laughs> it took security a good, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds to come out and get this fool. 
And Bob, like, eventually, he's, like, playing, he's, like, ripping off this guitar solo, and he, like, steps back, you know, to let the security come and get this, like, crazy person off the stage at the Grammys. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, either that or, or the debut of the Vincent Price mustache on the cover of Love and Theft. You know, one or the other. Well, yeah, don't make me choose. Hey. Yeah. I want to be noted that we have, like, four laughs, and all four of them are in the 70s. Oh, and I've yet. This is again just a proof as to how unstoppable David Bowie was in the seventies. And that he had so like, many distinct periods in the seventies. He had four distinct periods in the seventies, is how I'm putting it. Some people put it even more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is all amazing. They're they're the best he did was these ten like incredible years. So nice work. Nice work, David. Bowie. Hey, way to go. We're gonna start with nineteen seventy four to nineteen seventy six. A little period I like to call the Cocaine Soul Train. <laughs> hey! Owie goes soul, blue-eyed soul in this period. Cocaine uh, Soul Train, I love it. He also starts doing so much cocaine, just like, yeah. I don't know. I think he must have bought a second house and just to store his cocaine in. I don't know how where else he would have put it all. Inside, the bus. Inside, wasn't it a, inside of his nose. Wasn't it a bus load? He got oh, a bus? Yeah, a school, I think I described it as a, he did a school bus full of cocaine. Yeah, so it's a school point. bus. A full school of bus full of cocaine. Yeah. Sure. Uh, he was actually on the show Soul Train. He was one of the, uh, the only white performers ever on Soul Train, a notable show from the period that showcased soul artists. Word. He, uh, he looks like he is dead during this performance, mm-hmm. like he is physically not alive. Mm-hmm. And somebody is just propping him. He's like a marionette <laughs> or something. His oh. dead body oh. being paraded around. Yikes. Uh, he went in the super crazy period. He was living in LA for most of this and doing. He were a period where he supposedly was doing was eating nothing, consuming nothing, but milk, red peppers, and cocaine. Uh, and he looks like yeah. so painfully thin. Then he looks like a Holocaust survivor. He does look dead. He don't think dead. I'm even exaggerating to say no. that he's so terrifyingly thin. You're not. Uh, he he's also like hollow. did his greatest, probably his greatest film role in uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth as an alien, which he looked like and acted like at the time. Cool but he also made some really awesome music. Uh, he's had two albums from the period, Young Americans and Station to Station. He has notably stated on more than occasion he does not remember recording Station to Station <laughs> because he's doing so much cocaine at the time, which is too bad because it's like... That's a good one. Probably my, probably my third favorite album by David Bowie. It's way wow. out there. Wow. Um, notable songs from the period include such gigantic hits as Young Americans, Fame, which was co-written with John Lennon, and... Golden Years. Golden Years. I love that. He song. also has during the period, the later period, uh, my personal favorite David Bowie here. Okay. This it's, is personal it's the, only, it's the only five. It's the only five, Jake. Wow. On the, on the hair there. Wow. And the two words described the hair are slicked and swanky. Slicked and swanky for the hair. All right. Sounds good. Number three. Okay, number three. Oh, wait, I gotta do explain. Yeah, you, I guess. <laughs> I was wondering if that one was coming or going. The answer was coming. It was coming. Coming. I was coming. Got it. Okay. Uh, so number three is from 1963 through 1964, uh, a period I call Jesus Protest Superstar. Way to go, Bob. That's terrible. No, I know. But you love it. The impish, the impish unwashed fellow. I didn't say I didn't love it. <laughs> it's just that it sucks. It's great. It's 
thought he was terrible. <laughs> uh, the impish, unwashed fellow who lied to everybody uh, when he got to New York and stole all his contemporaries' mojo. Finally, after 18 months of grueling non-success, hits it big and becomes the counter-culture avatar of the early 1960s. Mm. Bob's songs are number one hits. Smoky. His, his songs are number one hits for other acts, and he makes his first great album, which doesn't get points on this podcast to my eternal chagrin. The freewheeling Bob Dylan. Uh, he follows that up with The Times They Are A-Changin', which is his kind of like, maybe the best, if you wanted to call it a protest record, maybe the best protest record ever. And then Another Side of Bob Dylan, which he shows slight signs of moving past all of this protest stuff. Uh, he is adored, revered, and deified by the entire political and social movements, and he's not yet 24 years old. Um, I wanted to, I mean, this is just like... Where did you do that before you were 24 years old, Jake? Uh, I, I, gra- I graduated college with a degree that I didn't use. What about you? Hmm. Oh, I was married by the time I was 24. That's true, I was Still married, still married. So that's I also graduated with a degree that I didn't use for a while, and... Kind of used. I mean, I ended up I ended up using it pretty soon, but still, it's like it's what I like to tell people. I'm from the mean streets, of Illinois. No, you're not. Uh-huh, Wisconsin. <laughs> um, hey, I, keep going. Yeah, I'm trying. Uh, I wanted to put. I kind of wanted to put this lower on the list because, like Bob himself, I'm just not that enamored with this phase of his career. I too wanted to move to the next one as quickly as possible. But the music is just too good, and it's obviously important and influential. So, it's number three. Uh, the representative album for me is The Times They Are Changing. That's his most serious, that has the best songs on it. I mean, the other ones are great, uh, especially Free Willin', but for me it's The Times They Are Changing. And the representative image is Bob and his then-girlfriend on the cover of Free Wheelin' yeah, Bob Dylan. And I, wanna, I want to introduce a new, a new word to our podcast, Chaz. We, mm. We've talked in the past about our... Um, discomfort, shall we say, with the word lover, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Don't like that. Don't like that. Bob had some lovers. Bowie had some lovers. Uh, Bowie had so many lovers. Yeah, and like just saying lovers makes me makes me uncomfortable. Makes I'm blushing right now. Anyway. Well, it makes me think of that SNL sketch. I know. We me, talked about that, too. My lover. Anyway, I think we should replace the word lover with paramour. Can we go with paramour on that? Mm. Yeah. Oh, I thought you'd be more excited about this. I like that word. I do like the word paramour. I just don't feel like it's exactly the same meaning. Okay. Well, never mind. Just go to number two then. (laughs) Make the noise. So Uh, I know last time. How about a big deep sigh for my disappointment? (sighs) (laughs) Five. Five. Great. Number three, 1970 to 1971. A little error I call Lauren Bacall here. Don't care. You don't care. This is Bowie's pre-glam period. This is between his space oddity and his, where he had a big hit, and then the uh, new explosion of Ziggy Stardust. Yep, yep, Where yep, he yep. is taking on some of the stuff from, like, that will go to greater success in just a couple of years. It's, it's, he's, like, paving the way for glam in a period, but they'll also getting, like, beat to it by guys like Mark Bowen from T-Rex. Sure. Uh, he released two albums during the period. Two classics that were ignored, or largely ignored at the time they released, but became classics later on. Man Who Sold the World, and in particular, Hunky Dory. These albums sound nothing like one another whatsoever. Uh, 
but the spirit underlying it, I feel like, is pretty serious. Is pretty similar. And again, they're both going towards. They would have made more sense in his like order if they were reversed. Actually, Hunky Dory sounds more like his earlier albums. Uh, Man of Still the World sounds more like Ziggy Stardust. Man of Still the World is also one of his heaviest albums of all time. Anyway, heavy man. He was figuring out who he was. He was moving forward with things. He was writing amazing songs, uh, and just being him with the whole time, really long flowing hair, which was notable, and like wearing dresses and stuff on the cover of Man of Still the World. So again, some of this pre-glam stuff, the underwriting was showing up in spades at this point. Notable songs in the period include The Man Who Sold the World, a song nobody cared about until Nirvana covered it in the 90s. Uh, Changes, which is the closest Bowie's got. It's like a theme song. It's uh, even used to, you know, every documentary ever about Bowie probably has changes in it somewhere. Or here. And Life on Mars, which was voted at one point by Pitchfork as the greatest <laughs> song of the 70s. Those guys are which, so it seems a little nerdy. Even I gotta admit it, and I love this bit boy. Yeah, I absolutely love the song "Life on Mars." Yeah, it's a me great too. Song. It's a great song. It's a good song. It's a really good song. It's fine. Hera for Lauren Bacall here. Don't care. It is luxurious and bountiful. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it is. looks like a beautiful woman. He sure does. <laughs> He's glamorous. He's so frequently compared to Lauren McCall and Greta Garbo and Veronica yeah. Lake during this period. And his hair definitely looked like it. I don't know about his face, but apparently I don't know. Um, I, I, I can see some feminine. You know, I can some... see it a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's pretty feminine. Yeah, it is. When you it frame is. it with long, beautiful hair, at least. I suppose. It's just the, like, the beauty and the way that people just talk about how glamorous and beautiful he is. It's just <sighs> Bowie. I know, it just runs me the wrong way for some reason. <laughs> He's beautiful. How's that? He's beautiful, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's terrible and wonderful at the same time. Yep, like all my puns. Great. Like many of the things you say. <laughs> like everything I say. Great. All right, what's your noise? Um... Oh, dog. There you go. All right, mm-hmm. number two, Chaz. These are the... These are the best ones. That's what the numbers, that's that's what the numbers mean. <laughs> it's big and bountiful. All right, number two is from 1975 through 1976. I call it bloodier, trackier, rollinger, thunderer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. No problem. It's a good thing I didn't limit myself to two words or two whatever like you did for your hair, your, your hairas. Um, this phase and my number one phase, which I'm sure you can guess by now, but don't say it. Oh, I can had a Rocky-style fist fight to see who would reign supreme. <laughs> this track is um, the underdog, or this phase is the underdog, I should say. So that's Rocky and Rocky 1 and Rocky 2, again Rocky and Rocky 3, Rocky's the underdog in Rocky 4, and then again in Rocky 5, and of course Rocky 6. <laughs> I just realized that Rocky's been the underdog in every one of his movies. <laughs> All of them. Well, Creed, the, the Creed movies. Is he the underdog in the Creed movies? Well, he's he he battles cancer, but he wins. But I guess he's the underdog uh, in the cancer battle. Maybe I'm not really sure. <laughs> uh, he doesn't fight anyone in in the Creed movies. Luckily for everyone. Oh, unfortunately. Um, dude, that'd be amazing. I know, but he did that. He did that shtick in Rocky Six. You just wait for Creed Three, which he will write, direct, and star in. (laughs) I feel like I read an article recently, which he said he was trying to do all those things. Well, he tried to do it for Creed Two, which was not nearly as good as Creed One. I haven't seen either of the Creed movies. Which that? Oh, you got to see the first Creed. That's great. I did that one. It's like an actual good movie. It's not just. It's not just Rocky. It's good. No, no, no. I've heard that. 
Um, and unfortunately, my number two phase here, he loses, like Rocky and Rocky one and Rocky six. Okay, narrowly, narrowly loses. Rocky never two, three, four. Well, he does lose to Clubber Lang the first time in Rocky three, but he, he returns with the vengeance. <laughs> but only after Adrian gave and him he permission. Loses, he loses his best friend in Rocky four. He loses his best friend. He loses his trainer in Rocky three. Um. Anyway, his heart loses in Rocky IV, but he he, uh, he 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 solves the Cold War, so it all it all pans out. <laughs> uh, it was worth one death to so, solve the Cold War. <laughs> so in these two years, Bob regains all the mojo he could possibly regain by releasing Blood on the Tracks, The Basement Tapes, and Desire. It's almost as good as his uh, his nineteen sixty five through sixty six period. They're all different. They're Spoiler all. Spoiler alert, Jake. Oh, sorry. Well, everyone knows by now. All different, all wildly influential, and all extremely successful. Um, and he uh, and he conceives and goes on the Rolling Thunder Review Tour to boot, which is one of the most famous tours in all of rock and roll. It's not quite his best period, but it's probably his most important in terms of his legacy. Because if he doesn't make Blood on the Tracks in particular, there's a chance we don't consider him the greatest rock songwriter of all time. Like he had to, he had to, he had to put this in. Like he had a great mid '60s, but then he was like really weird, and he went off to make country music and self portrait. Yeah, the croon. As I mean, one does. Hey, as one does. Everybody has to croon sometime. That's just a that's just a thing. Uh, the representative album is Blood on the Tracks, and the representative image is the quote soon to be divorced. 34-year-old, middle-aged man playing so potently that no one can listen without bawling. And then he... <laughs> Alright, he's like, his little... He was recording Blood on the Tracks and his, his suit... Uh, his suit coat buttons were, like, banging against the guitar and everyone was just weeping. But then, he, meta- he metamorphosizes into a supercharged mystery rocker in whiteface on the Rolling Thunder review. So that was all in that two-year period... Uh, yeah. Whoa. I mean, these are, these are the big, these are the big guns. Uh, I'm trying to think of a cool noise to make. Uh, how about... Yeah. You heard what me. What was that? I don't know. Just me. Okay, hey, yes! Go. Hey, 19, next up, number two, 1972 to 1974, a period I like to call Glam Slam. <laughs> yes. The yeah. Glam Slam. So this is the giant one. This is the one, his best-known period, though not, in my opinion, his actually best period. Uh, it's where he became a world-conquering superstar glam bisexual alien that we all know and love today. Uh, it's the Ziggy Stardust years, and the follow-ups to Ziggy Stardust years, he has three of his biggest albums, best-selling, best-considered albums. Boom. In that, plus plus, and also a weird cover album in the middle, but that's all right. Um, he takes the world by storm, kind of. Doesn't take America by storm until later on. He actually takes that, them to Uns by storm during his soul period. Oh. And, uh, yeah, and now when you think of, like, Bowie, you know, and everyone does a picture of Bowie, or, you know, any article that's randomly about Bowie, it's guaranteed either a picture of him as Ziggy Stardust, or him as Jared the Goblin King from Labyrinth, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> but this is the better of the two, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Sure. So the albums in the period include The Rise and Fall of the Easters and The Spiders from Mars, uh, which we recently, I recently gave a very rare 5 to, a perfect score. Uh, Aladdin Stain. Yes. Which is his most iconic cover, for sure. 
Uh, Pin Ups is a weird cover album of late 60s songs that he did for some reason mm-hmm. in the early 70s. Why not? Uh, that one brings down the period slightly, but not too bad. And Diamond Dogs is the last from the period. Yeah. Diamond Dogs is a little bit of a transition into the soul period, but I think it is more glam than it is soul. Um, the big transition here happened more during the tour for Diamond Dogs than it did during the album itself, although there are hints in the album. Uh, notable songs from the period include Starman, John of Only Dancing, Ziggy Stardust, Mooney's Daydream, Gene Genie, Dang. All the Young Dudes, originally not the Hoople, but he wrote it, Rebel Rebel, and Diamond Dogs. That is a Oof. lot of, that's a lot of hits right there, man. That's a lot of giant songs right there. That's yep. some big hits. All in a two-year period, well, it's more of a three-year period, but yes. Big hits and hilarious misses. Well, I don't know if there's, one. there's no misses in this period. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's got hilarious misses, don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, I know. Not, not, not from 1972 to 1974. No, he, so he was unstoppable. No, the pinups album is the closest to a miss, and it's just like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's all right. That was as hey, miss, that's uh, miss as he got was. Uh, yeah, pretty he's good. just a gigolo. Right. He's just a it's gigolo. Right. He's just, just a gigolo. He's just a gigolo. And the hero for Glam Slam yes. is... Iconic and terrible. <laughs> a terrible beauty. Terrible beauty. A terrible oh, beauty, indeed. Right yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know what? Don't don't make me a sound. This is getting. <laughs> I was going to do some, like, some sweet Nick Ronson. I didn't mention Nick Oh, Ronson, that would have been I good. I clearly need to. I clearly need to. He was also oh, yeah. Period. He, he belongs to the Lauren Bacall hair don't care period also. Of course he does. Um, he was he was gone for Diamond Dogs. He was there for Diamond Dogs. He belongs to so all just, good so music periods. Imagine yourself some really, really tasty licks. Yeah. And that's the sound for, for this transition. Like the tastiest licks you can imagine. Well, he was on the so Rolling tasty. He was on the Rolling Thunder Review tour with Bob as well, which we that's just true, talked he was. about. He so was. This he is was. Mick's time. It's his time period. Everyone get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Mick is on, baby. Surprisingly he's 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 not making the number one of either of our guys, but he makes it number two for both our no. guys. And number three for Bowie as well. Yeah, I mean two and three, that's fine. That's good. We should have thought about he that. Probably, of, all, of all the side men involved, he's got an average number one across the Bowie and Dylan. There's no way. There's no here. way it could be anybody else. I don't else. know who else it would be. I mean, maybe Stevie Ray Vaughan. Nope, because he never played with Bob. I get it. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? Also, he's in Bowie's the worst period. They like sh- the they like they like uh, shared. They shared some Rolling Stones, but never like really. Yeah. Identified with yeah. the Rolling Stones that the other. Yeah, no, shows. I mean, but Nick Ronson as the the guy who was most involved with both of them. He's the glue. He's the glue that holds this universe the together. That holds the entire universe together. Yeah. And when he died, the universe <laughs> fell apart. And now we're living in one of those weird multiple universes that no one. This can... is why everything has sucked since like 1992. I think is the year he died. That's it. Yep. Clinton got elected. It all went downhill. <laughs> Okay. All right. Anyway, number one uh, for Bob Dylan's Phases podcast is the Towering Trilogist. As if you couldn't yeah. guess, this is the years 1965 through 1966. They say that you know that you're doing something right only if they love you intensely or hate you intensely. And boy, was Dylan doing it all right in this phase. <laughs> Wait, was Lo- he loved intensely or hated intensely? It was both. He was loved and oh, hated yeah. intensely. 
he starts. You let, to, you let me know. Well, I already know what sound you're gonna transition with. I'm just gonna tell you. I'll do it for you. Okay. No, no, don't ready? do it yet. Just, just don't. Just. No, I'm not gonna do it now. No, when you're ready. Okay. All right. All right. Cool, man. Cool. Uh, he starts it off by quote going electric at the 1965 New York Folk Festival and inspiring Pete Seeger to consider chopping the electric cables with an axe to stop that racket. <laughs> he releases the album Bringing It All Back Home, which is a tasty mixture of rollicking rock and heady, acoustic, and apocalyptic long form. He releases oh, yeah. the best rock and roll single of all time, which is Like a Rolling Stone, which is put on the, uh, the all-rocking Highway 61 Revisited, uh, Jake, I'm pretty sure Pitchfork voted uh, God Only Knows by Beach Boys. That's the greatest song of the 60s. I just want you to know that. That's just preposterous. <laughs> <laughs> God Only Knows. <laughs> well, they just... uh, it's, it's like the 60s equivalent of Life on Mars. I mean, oh, totally. Well, that's, that's Pitchfork. They can't, they can't do the... Got, they've got apparently a, a view of what the best song of an entire decade. First of all, they want to try to come up with the best song of an entire decade, yeah. which is preposterous in itself. Yeah, and they give you like two hundred. They give you two. They count down from two hundred to one, and then they're like, "See, I could, I could, come, I could see them doing like top two hundred unranked songs of a decade." Yeah, I could see that. Why not? But you're like really say that one song is better than. I, anyway, please continue. I hear you, man. I hear you. I mean, that's how they get the clicks, though. They put the yeah. they put the thing that makes everyone pissed off. That's what they do. Oh well, and everybody loves lists. I mean, oh, well, just absolutely. look at the people listening to this episode right now. Yeah, right now. I mean, we're getting meta here, but you guys are listening to this because you like lists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't lie to yourself. We're your masterpiece. We're your masterpiece. You don't like us, you like lists. <laughs> you don't like us, and we don't like you. Either one of those things is true. Yeah, what? No. Uh, Bob goes on to enlist the Hawks, uh, who were formerly toured uh, with another gentleman named Hawk. Uh, what was his name? Ronnie Hawkinson, and he tours, yeah. he tours America with them in 1965, where everyone boos him, except when he plays Like a Rolling Stone, and then they cheer. Yeah. And then he goes to Europe in 1966, and Chaz, this is where you get to say... Oh, this is going to be my sound for the transition. That's fine, we can I'll do it twice. Now. This is our show, baby. Yes! And then, Bob releases my favorite album of all time, which is Blonde on Blonde. Oh, baby. In terms of creativity, success, fame, and influence, probably only the Beatles and, like, Beethoven can compare in all of music history. Number one with a bullet, baby. The uh, Powering Trilogist. Okay, Jake. We need to have talks about this. Let's expand this conversation over the course of, like, 65 episodes. We can talk about who is more important, Bob uh-huh. Dylan or somebody who I like. Uh, which is... Oh, I mean, David Bowie. Which is David Bowie. But, listen, <laughs> Bowie couldn't even... Couldn't even hold Bob's, you know, guitar in 65 and 66. No, no. He Clearly. Couldn't. No, not a chance. Not a chance. Uh, the representative album from his best period is Blonde on Blonde, or you can just choose all three, or any one of the three. They're all super great. Um, and then the representative image is Dylan turning to the band in Europe while a thunderstorm of bloodthirsty booze rained down upon his head and yelling, Play effing loud! Before launching into Like a Rolling Stone. It's magnificent. That's the Towering Trilogist, Chaz. All right. You can say, you can say your word. Whatever. You want to do it again. Uh, Judas! That's all I was going to do. On to you. Hey, number one for Bowie. Uh, a little period from 1977 up to 1982. I'm including it all the way up till there. Wow. Some people cut it earlier, but I'm going up to 82 because yeah. nothing happened in the last couple of years. Okay. A period I like to call Fear and Loathing in Berlin and New York. <laughs> yes. 
Bill Bowie, after almost killing himself with cocaine, trying really hard to just die in several different ways, uh, cleans up. Hey. He clean up. So he moves out of L.A. He wants to get as far away from there as possible. He decides to go to Berlin with Iggy Pop, who is also cleaning up. The two of them together did so many drugs. The two of them <laughs> went together to Berlin and began the slow process of cleaning up. Good for them. I know, good for them. By the way. In doing so, they uh, managed to release a whole bunch of awesome albums. I mean, Bowie basically made two Iggy Pop albums that also released in 1977, along with two of his best albums, Low and He the Heroes, in 1977, for a monstrous music cavalcade in which is incredible. Uh, yeah. He embraced icy electronics and moved away from the soul period entirely, although Station to Station was already transitioning out of it. Uh, got my old pal Brian Eno locked and loaded for the low, for Low Heroes and Lodger, often called the Berlin Trilogy, in spite of the fact that Heroes is the only one of the albums fully uh, recorded in Berlin. Well, that doesn't partially recorded there. Lodger wasn't in the slightest. That doesn't matter. Um, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Most including another album, Scary Monsters, which started a transition more towards dance but it really isn't a dance sometimes it's put in with the 80s albums that really doesn't belong there at all there's much more to do with the earlier albums which is why I'm including it here uh, all four of these albums are just monumental incredible albums um, notable songs from the period include Sound and Vision Heroes one of the most iconic Bowie songs of all time yes. Boys Keep Swinging Ashes to Ashes Fashion Under Pressure and Cat People the original version it was also showed up on Let's Dance but there's an original version from 1982 Wow. Uh, Bowie, he goes on, he doesn't do much in 81 and 82 um, before coming back in a big way in 83 with Let's Dance. So I'm including them with this too, but it probably could be like a nothing period of their own. Sure, whatever. What's the point of that? (laughs) Not even a point. Anyway, absolutely incredible. It's just the best. So much better than anything Dylan ever did. Um, Everyone's saying so. (laughs) That's not not true. (laughs) Everyone's talking about it. That is a lie. And you're being a lying liar. Uh, people say to me, they say, uh-huh. I can't believe how good this period is, Charlie. Yeah. And that it's the best period. Who do you talk to about David heard. Bowie besides me? Nobody. Uh, everybody. Everybody. Oh, everybody yeah. Tells me this, Jake. Everyone's everybody. like, hey, let's have, Lots a, of people. let's have a nerdy conversation about David Bowie, shall we? Lots of people told me about this. At the, the post time, office? Everybody. At the grocery everybody. store? They won't stop. Anyway, his hair, in contrast to his music, which is the weirdest it ever was. Uh, his image, public image, was like close to the most normal it ever was. Sure. It leads up to that period for sure. And his hair was fluffy and normal. Fluffy and normal. I'm a little anticlimactic on the hair at the and end. Maybe his hair is anticlimactic. It's hard. It's it's sad to say. It is. That sad really climaxed with with, no, with the number two, with the iconic yeah red iconic and Well, yeah, the red mullet. Yeah. Gee whiz. Yeah. Gee whiz. It was just look. It was just looking really normal in. in the 70s to the early 80s. Okay. I mean, you go with whatever his hair looks like in the Ashes to Ashes video where he's wearing the Poirot clown costume, but he's got a hat on, so it's hard to say there it's either. Just hard to say altogether, I'd say. Hard to say altogether. We can go with Klaus Nomi's hair from 1979's appearance on SNL where it's like this weird pointed thing, like highlighting how he's bald he was. I've lost the track here. I've lost the thread. <laughs> Everyone has to. <laughs> hey! Hey! Two top tens. It took us a really long time. Like it always does. <laughs> it did. Episodes. And you thought we were on. We were. You thought we were making good time, but we're about an hour and a half. We right were now. at one point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. Hey, yeah. everyone likes hey. a list. Everyone loves a list. And loves talking about the Berlin period of David Bowie's career with Chess. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Remember to send your pledges 
over to Bowie the Estelle. Yeah, and you know, I'll just com. I'll just say if there's a CBS Sony Legacy executive who's listening right now, you what I really want is for Sony to send me the copy of the Super Deluxe yeah, Edition on, of Sony. Trouble No More. It's Sony and Legacy, well, who I'm really... Perlamore, if you just... Or Perlophone, if you just want to... I just praised Perlamore, sort of. <laughs> on accident. Perlophone, if you just want to send the upcoming Bowie collection, a uh, conversation piece, yeah. and before I, you know... I, I mean, I pre-ordered it naturally, but before I spend that money, if you just want to send it over my way so I don't have to buy it, that would be better. Yeah, that looks very I'll nice. Review it, I'll review it on this podcast. You know, and if you just want to throw a little cherry on top, why don't you give me another another self portrait? Um, could just just coming through, just just sliding through, just just yeah, passing just through. Just under the wire. Just Come yeah, on. yeah. Just get that in there. Uh, you hey. just, you can package them together. Go ahead. Episode, even though you're two different companies, it doesn't matter. Episode forty one. <laughs> that doesn't matter. The next episode. Yeah, number forty one. Back to our normal format of year by year. Yeah, we're taking a look at. 1995. Wow. This is from the electric Bowie Galoo period, Jake. This is the reticent roots return. Hey, nice. Hey, now yeah, we, we can just. Any mixture of electric and roots review. <laughs> <laughs> the reticent. Those are two different things. They are opposites almost. There's going to be a lot of Nine Inch Nails in 1985. There's going to be a lot of MTV Unplugged in 1995. Hey, I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. Happy fortieth, Jazz. Top ten fans. All of you are top ten. Hey, fans. all of you are Happy tied. Happy birthday to the podcast. You're all tied and for we'll number one. All right.